Hello, my friends, and welcome back for another great episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. I hope you are well, and for this week, I'm coming to you live from West Virginia. So you might be asking, what am I doing in West Virginia? The answer to that, for the next few weeks, my family and I are here. My wife has a job in a girls' camp doing different uh, activities here, and we're here, but I didn't want to leave you without a fresh episode of this week's podcast. And after searching this camp for a quiet spot, which was very difficult, as you can imagine, in a girls' camp, thank God I found this little quiet corner to record this week's episode. I hope you enjoy. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out and say hello, feel free to send me an email at rabbishlamakon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Pinchas. And just to give a quick overview of this week's Torah portion, we start off the Parsha by continuing the story from last week. And in last week's Parsha, Pinchas stands up and kills Zimri, one of the leaders of the tribe of Shimon, who is committing an immoral act with Cusby, one of the daughters of Midian, in front of the Jewish people. And because of Pinchas' action of killing the plague which had engulfed the Jewish people because of their sin with the Minyanim, sinning with the Minyanim, that the daughters of Midian had been sent to the Jewish camp to cause the, to entice them, to cause them to commit immoral acts with them. Pinchas, from his act of standing up, stops that. And this week's Parsha, Hashem tells Moshe to reward Pinchas, and he's to be made a Kohen forever. That Although normally someone can't be made into a Kohen, Pinchas is the one exception to that rule, where Hashem rewarded him with being a Kohen, being a priest. The Torah also tells us about the last census of the Jewish people before they enter into the land of Israel, that there's a commandment that Hashem tells Moshe and Allah the son of Aaron to count the Jewish nation up before they're going to enter the land. Additionally, in this week's Parsha, we have the laws of inheritance, that because of the story of the daughters of Tzalafchad, who approach Moshe Rabbeinu, because their father has passed away and they have no brothers, because of them, of them approaching Moshe to say that they shouldn't lose out, therefore, through their question and through their wanting, comes out the mitzvah of the laws of inheritance. Additionally, in this week's parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses asks for a worthy successor, and Yeshua, Joshua, is named to be his replacement to lead the Jewish people into the land of Israel after Moshe passes. The Torah also tells us about the Tumid sacrifice and the Musaf sacrifice, which was offered on Shabbos and on Yontif. We have the special sacrifices of Rosh Chodesh. And the Parsha finishes off with the commandments of the festivals, going through all the different festivals from Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and finally finishing off with Shemini Atzeres. The first idea I wanted to share with you today goes to the, really the namesake of this week's Parsha. So as I mentioned, this week's Parsha is Parshas Pinchas. And it's named for Pinchas, who stood up for what was correct. He stood up for the honor of Hashem. And the, the commentaries talk about the greatness of Pinchas, what he did. And, and even though it wasn't easy and how they question how the reward he got was a Breeze Shalom, it was a covenant of peace if he killed somebody. But what I want to focus on today is more on what Pinchas did. Now, it seems 
in last week's parsha, after Pinchas killed Zimri, as you can imagine, one of the leaders of the tribes, one of the he was Zimri was the leader of the tribe of Shimon. After Pinchas stood up to kill Zimri, people were upset. They wanted to kill Pinchas for what he did. Can you imagine he killed one of the leaders of the tribes of Israel? And the Alshech notes that from the wording of the Pasuk, from the verse, when it says, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKohen, Heshev es chamosi me'al ben Yisrael b'kinoi es kinosi b'soycham, v'leichlisi es ben Yisrael b'kinosi. It says, Pinchas, the son of Elazar, son of Aaron the Kohen, turned back my wrath from, a, from upon the children of Israel when he zealously avenged my avengers among them. So I did not consume the children of Israel in my vengeance. The Alshech notes that from the word among them, it tells us that Pinchas's action of what he did of standing up to kill Zimri, the leader of the tribe of Shimon, was not very popular. And in fact, there were people that wanted to kill him in return for doing this. The tribe of Shimon was very angry at Pinchas for what he had done. They they disregarded him. They said he, he came from you know someone who worshipped Avodazar, someone who had worshipped idol worship. His great his grandfather Yisro was a convert. And he, they disapproved of what he had done. Now the lesson here is that sometimes things are unpopular. You know we're in a society where everything is politicians, there's polls, polling. Only what's popular we got to look good. We have to realize that sometimes we need to stand up and take an unpopular position if it's the right thing to do. You know, not always is everything that's correct is popular. Sometimes you need to do something that's unpopular, but it's right. And that's one of the messages of Pinchas, that even though he, you know, could have gotten killed, he could have been ostracized, he, people were not approving of what he did, he did it anyways because it was correct. It was the right thing to do. And sometimes we have to, within ourselves, find that, you know, that, that confidence and have that belief to know what's right and to sometimes stand up for what's correct. You know, one story that comes to mind for me, that when I was in yeshiva, there once was a boy who was, you know, not necessarily so nice to other people. And I remember clearly that one time during breakfast, he was embarrassing a guy in public. And I don't remember the exact, you know, details of the situation, but I was sitting there and watching this, like in disbelief. And I don't know, something inside of me pushed me to stand up and to act and to put this other person in his place. And you know what? He stopped. And it stopped the situation in tracks. The person who was embarrassed stopped being embarrassed. It was the right thing for that moment. Maybe it wasn't something easy for me to do, to stand up in public and to put someone in their place. It's not my, it's not my character to do that. But I did it. And I was happy afterwards that I did because it was the right thing to do. And going back to this idea of standing up, there's another point here which I wanted to bring out and actually ties into a story that happened to me just this past week. We know that Pinchas was rewarded because he defended the honor of Hashem and thus he also saved the Jewish people by doing his act. Hashem didn't consume the Jewish people in the plague. He stood up. And just this past week actually being in a camp, you know, 
I don't have a, you know, a specific job here that I do. My wife is the one that's employed by this camp. And you know, I, I, obviously I work. I do my own work, which I you know, do remotely and different things I need to do. But as an aside, I have experience being a lifeguard, being a, a head lifeguard. You know, I, I was trained in first aid. And in this week in camp, there was a medical emergency, and I heard this over the radio. My, I was next to my wife, and, I, and there was a medical emergency that was happening. And obviously, I'm not the type of person to get into people's ways. You know, there is a nurse on campus, and there are other people that are qualified. But when there's an emergency, sometimes help is needed. And being that my personality is the type that I, I don't want to get in people's ways, and I'm not looking to, to be, you know, a macher, that's the word in Yiddish, to, to be like a big shot, you know, I'll, I'll shy away from these things sometimes, and maybe that's a good thing sometimes, but it could also be a bad thing. In the emergency situation, you know, thank God everyone was okay afterwards, but after thinking about it for a while, it bothered me very much that why didn't I get up and try to do something? You know, don't assume that they don't need your help. Get up and try to do something and try to be a help. If they don't need you, they'll tell you. And, and I believe that this ties into this week's Torah portion of Pinchas. And we, because Pinchas stood up and did what was right. And it's even more than that because we see in the Midrash that Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Moshe was the greatest. It seems, it says in the Midrash, that Bishvil Shinis Atzel Moshe B'Maisa Zimri Lo Yada That because Moshe Rabbeinu was Nisatzel, he was, you know, that's the word for like lazy. He didn't act as fast as he should have acted. So therefore... He was punished that nobody today knows his, his um, burial place. It seems that even Moshe Rabbeinu had this hesitation to act when, the, when everything was happening. The greatest Moshe Rabbeinu, he, he stood up for what was correct by the ego when everyone was doing something wrong. And he told the Jewish people what was correct. But over here, for some reason, in the situation, in the moment with Zimri and Kuzbi, and he's committing this act, Moshe Rabbeinu did not know what to do. He hesitated. And therefore, Pinchas stood up and was the one who did what that he was supposed to do. He acted on the moment and followed through and, and defended the honor of Hashem. You know, and it's really a lesson for all of us because sometimes we can hesitate in a, in a situation, in an emergency, or maybe it's not even an emergency of when to stand up for what's correct, to do the right thing. And we should learn from Pinchas that, you know, we should act. Don't be scared to act. Now, I'm not saying act irrationally, right? If it's doing it in the right way, you know, offering help, like such an emergency, offer help at least. Don't assume everything's okay. But to learn from Pinchas to be a act. Don't, don't let the situation, don't freeze in the moment. Don't be a deer in headlights. Act. And it worse comes to worse. If someone doesn't need your help, right, an emergency or, or that type of uh, situation, they'll tell you. And if it's for the honor of Hashem, if, you, if you're doing what's right, nothing bad will come out from it. Second idea I wanted to share with you today focuses in on the census that Hashem commanded Moshe Rabbeinu and Elazar HaKohen to count the Jewish people. Now, there's different reasons that are given why Hashem commanded the Jewish people at this time to take a census. One of them is that after the plague, of the Midyanim. Hashem wanted them to know how many people were left. Second reason is that before they would enter the land of Israel, in order to know how many people would be in their army, they needed to take a census to know what size, how big their fighting force would be. 
Now, if you look in the Psukim, specifically when it talks about the size of the tribe of Binyamin and the tr- size and the size of the tribe of Dun, there's something very interesting here that the Chavetz Chaim makes a note of. It says, It says on the tribe of Binyamin, these are the sons of Binyamin according to their families and their count, 45,600. The total amount of the people in Binyamin was 45,600. And the Pasuk continues, These are the sons of Dun. According to their families, these are the sons of Don. According to their families of Shucham and the Shuchamite family, these are these are their families of Don. According to their families, all the Shuchamite families, according to their count, sixty-four thousand four hundred. So it comes out over here that the Torah is telling us that the tribe of Don was 64,400, and the tribe of Binyamin was 45,600. So Dan was significantly bigger than the tribe of Binyamin. And the Chavetz Chaim says on these psukim, he notes that the Torah, is revealing, the Torah here is revealing something to us very important, that everything is according to the will of Hashem. You know, many times we think of things, we think we're in control. You know, I once remember being on a horse and I couldn't stand every moment of it. And I think afterwards, thinking about it, the reason why I didn't like it was because I didn't feel like I was in control. You know, we drive a car, we're in control. You know, we we play sports, we're in control. We're usually in control. But when you're on a horse... You know that you're not in control because the horse could decide at any moment to throw you right off. But truthfully, everything is like that. That really we're not in control, even when we're driving a car. Obviously, we do our part, but we're not in control. But the point is that Chavetz Chaim tells us here that when the Torah tells us the tribe of Binyamin and the, and the size of the tribe of Dun, if you go back a few generations, the Torah lists to us the sons of Binyamin. And it's noted in the Torah that Binyamin had 10 sons. But Dun had one. Chushim ben Dun. That Chushim was a son of Dun, only one son. And even more than that, this one son of Dun was deaf. He wasn't, you know, he, he, he was Chushim ben Dun. He was a Cheresh. He couldn't hear. And we know that he's famous in the Torah because when it comes to the death of Yaakov and the brothers are burying Yaakov Avinu in the, in the cave of Machpelah, Esav shows up and starts arguing with the 12 sons that you know he should also be buried here and he, he should be here, it's his spot. And all of a sudden, Hushin ben Dun, who maybe didn't hear the exact back and forth because the brothers were sending, were trying to get the, the ownership document. They sent Naphtali back to Mitzrayim. Midrash tells us to get the ownership document of the cave of Machpelah. And in the interim, 
Chushim Benan, who sees that his grandfather, Yaakov Avinu, is sitting here, not being buried. He's lying, Bibizoyin, he's sitting in disgrace, that in Judaism we try to bury the deceased as quick as possible. So he sees his grandfather, the great Yaakov Avinu, not being buried, he sees them arguing with Yaakov, and he sees Esav there, he picks up a stick, and the Midrash tells us he knocks off the head of Esav, and thus Esav's head is buried in the cave of Machpelah. But either way, Dan had only this one son of Chushin, and he was, he was deaf. Benjamin had ten sons. And still, a few generations later, it comes out that the descendants of Chushin, the descendants of Dan, are far greater than the ten sons of Benjamin. Right? You would assume that if someone had ten sons, compounding over here, that the, the, the year is just compounding the numbers, ten sons, each son has another you know, bunch of sons, so the tribe of Binyamin should be far greater than the son Dun, who had only one child, but we see it was the other way around, that Dun was greater than the tribe of Binyamin. And the Chavetz Chaim learns out from here that we see from this that if there's somebody that Hashem or something that Hashem wants to be matzliach, to be successful, so even if the circumstances don't make sense to us, the the success of it will be greater than our own imaginations, right? You see, Chushim was this one person, and he was deaf, he had a handicap, but yet he still became greater. Hashem wanted his descendants to be greater in number than even the tribe of Binyamin. So therefore, he made it happen that his his descendants were greater. And the point is, is that nothing stands in the way of the will of Hashem. And even if, you know, the circumstances don't seem to be so favorable for us. If Hashem wants something, it'll happen. And the lesson really for us is that, you know, many times we, you know, we get caught up in this idea of like numbers. You know, social media, how many likes do I have? How many follows? And I've said it for myself. How many downloads do I get? But really the answer is that doesn't necessarily, we're not so much into the numbers because if Hashem wants something to succeed, it will succeed. And from one thing, from one person, thousands and thousands of descendants come out. And, and the lesson I believe is that, you know, if we can focus on the action of doing something right, having an effect on one person, you know, just doing one thing good, you know, doing that one mitzvah in the right way, you have no idea how far that action can go. And if Hashem wants it to become great, to snowball into something much, much larger, it will. So it's very important for us to remember that when we try to do something good, when we try to accomplish, and we see the results are not as we would like it to be, you know, but there are results. We tried, we did something, right? Let's say you make a, for me, I put out, let's say I put out an episode and one person listens to the download, one person downloads this sheer. That's a success, because that one person now, maybe you will be inspired to do something else, to act, to do something good. And because of the one person that I was able to teach Torah to, which is you, you'll be able to take that now and go and, and do something else great with it and inspire other people. And it continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So we should never think that if we're not having this huge impact, you know, you see different charities, you see their impact report, everyone tries to make their numbers look higher and higher and higher. But the truth is, in Judaism, we don't go by that. We do try to have this have an impact, but we shouldn't focus on the numbers going crazy and how many people we should 
focus on what we're doing right now. What are we doing right now? Are we trying to do something good right now? Are we doing what Hashem wants from us right now? If the answer to that is, yes, we are doing what Hashem wants to be wants from us right now, then we don't have to worry about the numbers and how many people we affected and what we accomplished. We just have to do our part to do good things and to do what Hashem wants from us right now. So, I hope you enjoyed this podcast with all the noise in the background and the PA system from this from my location. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlamacone, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I look forward to speaking to you next week.